Hello and welcome to the Baby Giants Investing Podcast. Join us as we chat about the weird and wild world of small cap investing, all while searching for the precious few fast-growing businesses that have a shot at becoming industry giants. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. And we're live. Okay, thanks very much for joining me, gents. Claude's feeling a bit under the weather today. Thank you much for joining a true statesman, very dedicated. I don't know if that's the right word. We'll get into a few things today. We've got some good news. We've got a couple more questions came in that we'll go through for some specifics. Maybe just to start off, we'll start off with some general good news in the world. I'll, I'll throw one and then Andrew, I think you've got something. But there was a massive reserve of high-grade phosphate rock was just discovered in Norway. Phosphorus is stable of modern agriculture and technology used in fertilizers, solar panels, EV batteries, and semiconductors. 71 billion tons of reserves reportedly found. Oh, sorry. As of 21, 2021, there was about, we estimated the total world's reserves were 71 billion tons, and they've just discovered another 70 billion tons of this. Doubled. Deposit. Doubled, yeah, which would potentially be enough for this part of the demand for battery and solar panels for demand for 50 years, and we can begin mining it in five, potentially. I don't think it's it's good news. It's a good reminder that we, yeah, that there's a big world out there that we have a lot of ability to meet this demand. You see a lot of what I'd say like kind of doomerous things about resources that we only have so much supply, and often that's just because we haven't looked for it because there wasn't enough need to look for more of it, and yeah, often there is a lot more out there. So I just think good news for decarbonization, energy transition transition stuff we found a lot more of an important resource i mean that's the markets doing what markets do right demand increases mm-hmm. prices go up incentives follow and you know and that's that's it's a good motivator to go and look for stuff when when there's money to be made right yeah there's this common thing against well it's kind of somewhat doomer and somewhat again it's like on both sides of the aisle i guess because it's people who are against who don't think that we should decarbonize or whatever. We say there isn't enough, whatever it is. There isn't enough lithium in the world. There isn't enough, whatever. And they look at the total lithium reserves and say there isn't enough for us to build enough, whatever, electric cars. But that kind of misses that those reserves only exist because people decided to go out and detect and measure that amount of reserves for the current demand. So basically, it doesn't mean that that's the total amount out there because we haven't scoured the whole world or universe for it yet and as you as you've always said as you say basically as price goes up or as interest as demand increases volume demand increases as well there's new sources found very regularly it gets, it gets me thinking so like it is is it fair to say as you guys know i'm not a massive follower of commodity prices but is it fair to say you know well we had a lithium price spike right yeah sure it's coming down and that's great but there is that spike that that happens in a point in time if that's the case and I'm not saying this will happen, by the way, just purely testing this idea. Like there's sometimes this saying, which I've had sort of half beliefs in, or maybe there's a not not really much copper fl- floating around. Now, I'm not saying we'd run out of copper because cop- copper is super common, but I am saying, you know, well, not I'm saying it, but I'm proposing as a hypothesis, could it be that we do actually have a copper spike? a copper spike at some point in the pipeline and then they'll have that and it won't probably last that long because copper is quite abundant and there's a lot of like mines that aren't really quite economical that can be started back up etc but like do you get that spike and if that's the case you know is one of those unprofitable stocks copper mines like a, a decent speculation purely just spitballing though i'm not 100 percent sure about that kind of idea yeah i've seen a few people cover the copper thing i on the specifics of copper so i think in general i'd agree like as a general point if we're talking about would there would that be a dynamic you'd expect to play out i think that, that yes basically i think that often you'd have a spike and then you would have the the response and that's kind of the capital cycle and people over index on that spike depending and it depends on the mine type as well like copper part of the argument is it takes a lot longer to develop a mine people don't like those mines 
mine's more so all that stuff can add to the delay of a capital uh, supply response. But I guess the other, only other thing I've just said with copper, I might have mentioned it once before in the pod, but there, a lot of the current people talk about the incremental demand from solar, you know, wind, blah, 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 electrification, but don't mention where a lot of current demand comes from. So like a lot of the current demand has come from China, like a, a very large share of global demand comes from China. And basically building apartments and electric railways requires a lot of copper. And so you kind of think of those two parts of the Chinese economy that they've over-indexed on pretty heavily. I think that there's potential for quite a decline in that part of copper, which could offset quite a bit of the increase that we've got coming from. So I just think... Yeah, I've that, definitely been that. more bullish about copper in the past, but that your argument that you just said has somewhat you know, convinced me that. And also just generally, like, yeah, there's probably better stuff to speculate on because there's probably a lot of copper like hanging around in tailings and stuff like that as well. It's a fair point, yeah. It's, it's just a, a, the timing part's hard, right? So because you can be right about this and there's guys who are nailing themselves to the cross <laughs> on it. And who, if you can hang on for years, right, it can be years before you actually have that spike if you are ultimately proven right so that's what that's what that's what stays my hand on that stuff it's kind of it's the timing of it right yeah i think if you can get it right that is like a pure capital cycle approach i think it can work really well it's just it's it's a difficult thing to do all right andrew you got some good news yeah, this is a one from nature, actually. So we've talked a bit about CRISPR before. It's this really cool technology. Uh, essentially, allows you to edit DNA. So you can very, you can very much target where you want to cut things and splice things in. It's really cool. What we haven't had up until recently, up until now, is what you call a eukaryotic a CRISPR type of protein. And this is so. Broadly speak, there's actually three types of cells. Broadly speaking, there's two types. There's prokaryotics like E. coli, bacteria, these kinds of things, and eukaryote, which is our kinds of cells. They have a nucleus, they have organelles, they have all these other kinds of same DNA, obviously, but very different cell structure. And it's been reported that we've found a eukaryotic program programmable RNA-guided endonuclease which will allow us to do CRISPR-type things more effectively within eukaryotic cells, i.e. within animal cells and, with, uh, and within our cells. So it's another potential tool in the toolkit for, for all this rapid, rapid advancement in, in biology, which is just, I'm so scared slash excited about. It was, it was really interesting in, in the fact that it's actually a, there's a really cool YouTube channel called uh, Kurzgesagt. And I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. I'm sure a lot of people know it because it's it's pretty pop. It's one of the bigger channels on, on YouTube. But they were talking about, and I remember this, when I was at uni, they were just doing the Human Genome Project, multi-year, multinational collaboration, took billions of dollars sequencing the human genome. You can now do it in an afternoon on a machine that costs a few thousand dollars, right? And it's a wonderful example of just, you know, how things can really rapidly fall down the cost curve. But, you know, in parallel with these sequencing technologies, we've also got these technologies that allow you to sort of edit, transcribe and do all these other really cool things as well. So basically, if you wanted to, it reminds me of the movie 12 Monkeys, actually. Like if you wanted to be that kind of, you only sort of need sort of like- This is good news section. You're talking about creating a super virus that wipes out humanity. No, no, no. This is Good yeah, news yeah. section. This is talking about cure for cancer, man. Well, it's, it's like it's like it's like nukes, right? Like huge, <laughs> yeah, yeah. huge one, huge wonders and 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 uh, advancements and potential what we can have there with energy, but it's also a bomb. So it's it's one of those kinds of things. But it's cool in terms. Well, and I, and I know I've made the point before, but I think what is particularly fascinating is the, the the technologies that are coming in parallel. So we're seeing big data, we're seeing AI, we're seeing the tools all being developed with this kind of stuff. They they all enable each other. So this particular one it makes it you able to edit better than the prior crispy editing is that yeah because it was what, what? native to to the bacterial type cells 
And so this is just, I mean, it's complicated basically is the short answer. But when you have sort of endonucleases or effectively proteins, enzymes that are native to that cell environment, they tend to be more stable. They tend to be more gotcha. effective. Cetera, so this should be able to be more stable. Less, yeah. Okay. Easier As to I use, understand basically. it, yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. 20 yeah, years since sense. I did my micro degree and you know, as I said, it's advanced a lot, but it's... Yeah, I think it's something that's still, although it's getting more hype now, is still massively underhyped, yeah, the yeah, potential yeah. for this. And yeah, the potential for these gene editing tools is that you edit a living person. It's Everyone thinks about Gattaca and creating super children, but it's actually like being used in living people. Like the first, I think, has happened for treating a rare genetic disease in a couple of cases in a local, you know, just into like an eye or something. But I mean, the idea that within our lifetimes, you could be upgrading people's genetic code is like that's pretty mind-blowing so it's yeah. really mind-blowing can i go can i go way off the deep okay end just Let's for go. a second okay so you you crazy said, now you sent me this matt and like there was that thing on reddit where like a a supposed biologist was oh, yeah, into one of these yeah, government yeah, yeah. programs you know to you know study the biology of these organisms that they found it was like well it turns out they use dna but it's just highly edited and there's no junk dna in there and a circular chromosomes and rah, rah. so it's just it's like it's one of these just like really fun stories you know i'm, I'm not sure it's real but it's a really mm-hmm. fun kind of fun story but it was just like you sent me that around the time that this news sort of hit is like yeah this is the kind of Shit, we're going towards that kind of, you know, potential with all of that where we can just have highly customizable organisms. But I mean, beyond beyond that, like really gnarly, weird sci-fi kind of stuff, it's just sort of like we could we could do it for our crops to make them highly drought resistant, highly saline resistant, able to grow in, you know, all kinds of different environments. We can create kelp that's far more effective at extracting CO2. Like the list is just phenomenally long terrifyingly scary on one hand but the the potential is pretty massive i think we could solve global warming in a few years if we had the right technology for that but that's a topic for another day yeah potentially yeah okay so what else is going on quickly some other good news uh claude 2 has been released congratulations if you want to use claude 2 stuff is like do (laughs) not use this this is outrageous (laughs) they're trying to steal my name get them out of here claude 2 is the latest ai product from anthropic competing with gpt i don't apparently unfortunately don't have access in australia i tried to yeah, so forget about it, guys. It's a nothing. <laughs> it's the more advanced, yeah, up there with ChatGPT, apparently. It's just weird. It must be weird, Claude. It's like, oh, that Claude's a liar, man. Claude's always hallucinating. Like, it's so weird. It's also, I've like lived my life with basically being like, you know, the only Claude. Like, yeah, you know, it's true. Very, I have re- like met the occasional. It's uh-huh. more common to meet Claudia anyway than Claude, but like it's I'm used to being the only one. So just to, yeah. It's, <laughs> and now you are legion. It's deeply disturbing. <laughs> to, like, just on GPT. Being replaced by AI already. Like. <laughs> some other news I thought was interesting, Claude. I think it kind of validates, I think you still hold Google. There was some chat GPT traffic released out from SimilarWeb, which basically showed GPT's or chat.openai's traffic has kind of plateaued in April and May and then fell in June. So it could be, there's a couple of explanations. One could be school kids are on holidays and they drive a lot of the traffic because they've been cheating on homework and what, or, or using it to learn hopefully but i also think that there's a phase where people are using it a lot and then now you're in a phase where you're finding out what you actually actually do want to really use it for but yeah it's it's, it's it's slowed down a lot like it was a meteoric rise and i think it's probably a bullish indicator for you know traditional search like google i think a lot of people would try it out gbt and uh, are still like finding which use cases you know 
actually work for them. Yeah, yeah. I feel as though we've we're potentially sort of going into that trough of disillusionment. Like, so this thing hit. Yeah, it's like a mini version of that. Eh? It's like you get it, yeah. and it's like amazing, and you're like, oh, and then you find yourself searching more, and then you know, maybe it's it so crazy more. when you. Oh, it's been three months, and nothing. There's been no world changing technology. This thing's like, like think about the time scales here that we're talking about. But I think there will be on the record as saying huge amounts of hype. A huge. There's probably. I mean, it's it's like the perfect candidate for the next bubble on the ASX, right? There's going to be a lot of nonsense there, but something to, to it that is is real. I agree with everything you just said. Although, like where we are is always harder to pick. Like, are we at the beginning of the trough of disillusionment? Are we that? Are we just in a lull before the real hype comes? Like, you never know. <laughs> but I do agree that it'll probably follow that pattern when you know all said and done. But the thing is, in terms of say Google and Microsoft, the the main reason that why I was always bullish on Microsoft as a result of this ChatGPT. Thing, and in fact bought Microsoft shares after ChatGPT came out because I've been thinking of buying Microsoft for ages and this was just a little thing I needed. I was like, oh, train's leaving the station, dude, get on. And that's probably the short-term hype I was worried about that I was like, oh, you know, I may as well, it's not going to get cheaper in the next few months kind of thing. But the long-term reason why I genuinely do believe that this has got a lot of potential is just because I see somehow Microsoft being so perfectly well-suited to uh, eventually monetize this kind of AI. So we talk about how, you know, there's, I've personally lost money on companies that like try and talk about this AI thing being a positive for them. And I've made money on companies that probably do have AI angles as well. But I think it's always been pretty small part of it. It hasn't really started that monetization side of things. So you're going to think about how does a company monetize it? Well, I think for this kind of chat GBT style model, companies that are best positioned to monetize it are the ones that are already touching corporations workflow. Because when you're already managing someone's workflow, like so you know, various companies are in in the workflow, but there'd be stuff like, you know, Salesforce is an example, uh, Zendesk, those kind of things. But, you know, anything from Shopify, anyone that's like, doing enterprise software really but microsoft is also like pretty much one of the absolute lords of enterprise software so they're right there in the monetization hot seat where if they do they can start you know entering this in in ways that are useful and so and that goes way beyond search in fact you know it is i would never have thought that i'd be particularly worried about i didn't sell my google shares like definitely not worried about this meaning google search goes away but just thinking of the power of office 365 this surely only increases it long term if they start finding useful ways there are like they could start maybe automating parts of bureaucracy or at least making people faster right that's always the first step oh hello bureaucrat you used to type out you know your email from a form thing and you didn't always do it very well sometimes you use the wrong form response because you didn't read it carefully like and then there was mishaps and people have a bad time like maybe we've actually got the response for you right here, which we think should be your response. You now just need to read it and check that that is correct. Maybe that improves speed and also probably accuracy in some sort of bureaucratic functions. And I still see that as a massive opportunity for Microsoft to start sitting in there and maintain their dominance for another 50 years or 20 years or whatever. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. (laughs) I agree completely. There's a a lot to digest. It's got so much data and via via search and everything else. It's got so much data that can plug in and make that really useful and yeah they've got the whole they just they're the home for everything right like they they've taken over from zoom now and so like they've just got data it's just the default for every enterprise i don't currently use them but it's it's so yeah with the ai products unless yeah i think unless google offers something really good when those when those all come out i probably would
would switch to Microsoft just to have access to that AI, the AI products that they've been showing off. So hmm. I've maintained a, a, a Microsoft computer all these years. I like I always have one. It's just like my unfavored computer that is like the backup <laughs> one that I don't use. Like, but it might be a long time before now. Like it took me a while to switch over to Mac, but now I'm like ten years in. I'm like, oh, don't want to use any other browser other than Chrome on Mac. Yeah, there's a particular plugin I need to get data from. I think that I do. There's a few things that I use uh, Windows for, but I'm pretty close to wanting to switch just for. I, don't oh, know. There, I feel like it's a lot cap, more secure. There's the Cap IQ. Yeah. Yeah, plugin, yeah, there's right, that. Only, yeah, there's a few things. That was one of the reasons I used to have the Windows one for. All right, let's jump into a couple of questions. We had one come through from Jared. Yep. Hey, guys, thanks for a great pod. What are your thoughts on Damstra now? It's gone free cash flow positive. Also keen for your views on Phineos or Coria Limited, uh, Q-O-R-I-A, which is, I made a check, was previously Family Zone Cyber Safety, if you guys remember that one. Any thoughts on those ones? Phineos, Coria or Damstra? you guys had any thoughts on that oh no look i'm not really close to to any of these i mean so i I did have a quick squeeze of of quora before the pod it's one of these ones that it it sort of fits you know the pattern recognition (laughs) sort of kicks in here incredible growth in revenue but you know costs blowing out and just increasing losses along the way so it's kind of like definitely got something there that more and more people are liking and using but it's the age-old question you know can they scale effectively i mean the recent prezo sort of talks about actually we are operating cash flow break even now now we expect to be EBITDA profitable in 12 to 18 months. We expect uh, within two years to have 20% EBITDA margins. You know, so it's kind of like they've heard what the market wants, and they they're giving. You know, when the ducks quack, feed them basically. So I I guess the the very high level early take without having really dug into it is that can they make that successful pivot? And was this a case of the costs growing because it was necessary investment to do what they needed to do, or was it a case of you know a bit? A bit unrestrained in that area, and now they can just bring that back and be fairly confident of these of these predictions. I don't know, but if they can, I mean, it certainly seems interesting. I remember looking at this a while ago and just thinking it was like super hypey. Uh, lots of, I guess, like red-ish coloured flags for me. Based on who's more based on um, the fact that it was quite hypey. Based on yeah, like, yeah, I just felt it was really hypey. Or maybe I can't even remember exactly because it was a while ago now. It may not even have been necessarily to do with what the company itself said, but may also have been just like what I was seeing other people saying about it. Like a lot of oh, you know hypey kind of comments on on social media or whatever but i kind of definitely uh you know just threw it out because of that it just seemed like an obvious sort of overly promoted kind of stock doesn't surprise me to hear what andrew said that you know it's also not profitable or whatever i think you have to be a bit careful you know when you have these companies that have some serious receipts from customers but still massive losses what is going on there like why like the last quarter was 14.8 million in receipts yet they still lost 10.5 million like what on earth is going on there like how can you be spending that much money i don't understand it to be quite frank, I have no, you know, the majority of that seems to be in staff costs. It just baffles. It's me. a very significant staff cost. I mean, I, I actually get what are the they use doing case. with all the with? Oh my god, there must be how legions of them, you know, spending sixteen point three million in cost. That's sixty something a million a year in staff staff costs. And what are these people actually doing? Yeah, I mean, it's. That's the again. I'm more posing the question than trying to suggest that this is the case. But this is, I mean, anyone who's got kids of a certain age that are now sort of on technology, you you get this is a this is a huge this is a huge problem. Like it really is a challenge <laughs> in how you make sure that you're safe within the digital realm 
And there's a lot of nasty stuff out there and kids are pretty smart at getting around it. You know, there is a, especially within school environments and networks there where you've actually got real responsibility to make sure that, you know, people are doing the right thing or not accessing the wrong thing on there. Get it. I get it. Right. So when I see a slide that says 500 million addressable market in the UK and US, like, yeah, that actually seems reasonable. And they reckon they've got 2% of that market and, and, you know, sensibly it's, it's capturing more and more of it. So I get it. I get all of that kind of stuff. I often feel as though these kinds of products end up becoming becoming a feature of things like a Chrome or of an operating yeah. system where it's kind of like, and, and I really, I'm genuinely, I'm posing the question. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that this is the case, but at, at what point does this just not become an embedded feature within your browser or your operating system that Google or Microsoft or someone is just going to say, hey, we do this now too as well. So this separate product that I now have to have and make sure integrates well and et cetera, et cetera. There might be a really good reason for that, that but that's something I'd want to get my head around. Yeah, I think that's a good point. These things are so weird, but there's some obviously good applications here. Like what they, they I think they bought this company, Custodio, Q-U-S-T-O-D-I-O. And they seem to advertise a free parental control app. I wonder how they monetize that then. But either way, one thing that, you know, obviously- Selling the kids' data for marketing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Obvious, like obvious demand here though, like they need to have sort of, you know, there needs to be plugins for browsers and stuff for for blocking certain URLs. Like they're saying, oh, you know, we can allow Wikipedia and Disney, but block gambling or whatever. I think obviously at some level that it's already possible. I bet there are plugins that allow that. But that totally makes sense when a kid has their first computer. There's also a big popularity with this like child tracking kind of stuff. So this is a locate your kids at any time kind of proposition as well. And which reminds me a little bit of 360, Life 360, which is sort of similar. And they're pretty big business i guess and they are themselves much greater scale now crossing over into profitability so color me a little more on the skeptical side with family zone but i mean yeah whatever it's called now i think the the challenge is i think these companies like some of them can exist separate to the big like as you're saying andrew like does this just become a feature of another product and often find a path what they do innovate on or do differently is the marketing machine and so that they go out and sell people on using this product even though they could actually get a lot of the benefits for free and so then a lot of the business just becomes around selling something that maybe has some marginal benefit over the free version but it's not that large and so it just means that there's always this big selling cost basically like it's just you never really get away from it and there's always quite a bit of churn and so for that reason it just never becomes that great of a business and i kind of yeah i think there could be potential for life 360 to suffer from that over time as well even even if the feature isn't fully replicated even if they build on a bit more you know maybe i'm like i'm outside of my my circle of competence here well and truly but i feel as though there's something where we love to be i love to be don't never stop me from opining in the past but I, do you guys use any virus software anymore? Do you have a Norton or any of that stuff? I do, but I had been wondering about using just the default one. Haven't had it for years, right? And because Chrome's got it, you know, defended. Are they as good as, as Norton and that? Probably not. But at the same time, man, they're resource-hungry applications. And man, are they bloody expensive. And you know what? In 2003, it was really dumb not to have something like that. But for someone who has not had it for years, I've never had any problem. I just use the default software. And I probably maybe there's a bit of uh, just truity and knowing links. knowing where, yeah, knowing what to click on and what not You shouldn't not be to. clicking links anyway. <laughs> but it's, so but this it's, is bad. I have a website. You're so fine to click on links, guys. <laughs> but it is, <laughs> but it, is, it is, it strikes me as what you're talking about there, Matt, is sort of like they're actually, you really don't need it. 
these days, but it's it's a hard thing for people to wean themselves off. It's interesting to think about, yeah, the antivirus products too, because yeah, they are they are built in now. I wonder how much additional yeah. value they're actually offering versus the selling, which is basically like yeah, that's, that's- at the risk of being too much time on companies in the US, I own and actually don't know that much about them because I'm not going to get. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's like I look at small cap in Australia. Like I, I don't, I genuinely have no advantage over anybody listening to this when it comes to US ones. But I feel like the one, the story that I've been sold off is the CrowdStrike one. They basically, yeah, they have like it, it, it's not that old approach, like the old antivirus where there's like a library of bad files. They're like I think looking for like behaviors in the organization that could like be risky or whatever, and flagging them like that. And I think that there is a natural network effect in these businesses because as they get bigger and bigger, they get exposed to more and more data about what risks are happening and what has occurred over there. What was the pattern of events to a led to a breach over at this company A. And now if we spot that pattern anywhere else, send an alert kind of thing, whether it's like someone receiving an email, opening it, clicking a link, I don't really know exactly how it works. But I think it's fascinating and obviously not no have no particular like strong view on the stock. But I, I mean, you guys just heard my entire like why I bought Microsoft shares. So definitely don't put <laughs> any weight at all on 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 it yeah it's been i mean i did used to do work on the us but i haven't done it for a while yeah like, no, maybe enough. a year or more all right should i go to the next question yeah sorry i forgot we got i think we forgot to do damster and i wouldn't want to like let yeah, myself yeah. Off do damster if you got something in it yeah because this was one that i did own for a while and like wrote it up and then wrote it back down pretty bad bad situation of when i should just sell sold and took in profits they missed their guidance a bunch of times like i think on the second guidance mix miss i finally quit which was just as well because then the share price has gone like massively down into the doldrums as i think the uh, the questioner mentioned matt really tough situation as well because they took on like 15 million dollars worth of debt and were not ca- cash flow positive so just overall uh, just as grim as it gets like you could be like oh this thing's could be going to zero pretty soon like any day now could be suspended from trading and like uh you know we've bring in the receivers kind of thing so that's the risk with damstra so at this stage like you know i guess it went from seven cents to ten cents because they put out an announcement saying in this quarter they're going to make genuine free cash flow now i didn't check when their actual 15 million dollars of debt comes due but like obviously that's going to be like a liquidity crunch point for them at the moment and they have a 27 dollar market cap at the moment so even if they were managing to to raise capital to pay off the debt at the current price, you know, that would be significant dilution, but most likely they would have to do it at a discount. So it'd be, you know, very significant, more than probably possibly more than 50% dilution. If And I don't think, look, again, I stress here, I have not checked when this debt comes due, but making mild free cash flow in one quarter does not mean that they're suddenly going to have to pay off $15 million when it's, when it's due. So I think there's still a debt issue with Damstra is what I would come to say. But they may refinance it on even like slightly more preferable terms or something because they were looking pretty rough when they got the debt in the first place. They may be able to push, kick the can down the road. But at the end of the day, these guys kind of need to make, you know, the best possible outcome for Dancer is they somehow make $15 million and then pay off their debt and then they're free as a bird. And they've got a probably pretty good damn, pretty damn good business as well if they manage to turn it around like that. So there is definitely upside there if they pull it off. But right now, you're just the... For me, the balance sheet's so precarious. And it's like, if they get out of that situation, then you would not be surprised to see similar moves from wherever they are. You know, when you've got this risk of death, slight removal of the risk of death is really gets the share price going. But yeah, I'd say that the risk of death still there, but they've just made like a, a slight step closer. But really one, it's an 
I'd say it's a distressed company at this point, just due to the fact that minimal profits and uh, poor balance sheet. Just amazing how many companies were sort of in this space of viable only via the good grace of investors. You know, it was like take away access to very cheap capital and a willingness to fund things at a loss for very long periods of time. And it's just, there's no business there. I mean, companies of this ilk are all, I mean, it's easy to sort of laugh at in hindsight, and I'm actually not laughing at it because they are genuinely chasing global markets here. You know, this is global, this is compliance for business and health and safety. And it's like, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of application in a lot of sectors in a lot of countries, right? And we've just seen the real ultra success stories of the past where they, they, they really did. They just, it was the greenfield chase, you know, got it, locked it in and then the profit will come. And so it wasn't dumb, but it's just like the, the world has really radically changed, I think, on that front. And all of the companies that we sort of speaking about in our space, they're all facing this issue here. And that is, can you remain viable without that lifeline from investors and capital markets? Or can you realize your full potential doing that? And just to repeat myself yet again, you know, was this a case of actually really reasonable spend that just yet to pay off or just like really ridiculous spend that, that you just sort of now the chickens are coming home to roost on? So I think you make some really good comments there, Claude. That would be the thing for me. Once once that sort of balance sheet issue is a bit more clarified, they're obviously cutting costs left, right, and center. Yeah. So, right? so I looked it up, Andrew, as well, just so a bit more info there. It said $15 million, three-year secured debt facility with a redemption date of June 30, 2024. Okay. Right. And I don't know what redemption date means. Maybe that means, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, does that mean they have to pay it all back then? I think so. So I think this is the risk now, too, is that I think it's too easy to say that it was all dumb and they were just hiring too many people and now they're going to deal with that. But we can still maintain the trajectory of growth. I I feel as though that's probably unrealistic, at least for a lot of companies, where I think it's like, well, no, you. The reason you had such incredible top line growth was because the resources that you threw at it. So to think that you can extrapolate that past revenue growth and just get rid of the costs, I don't know if that's the case. Now, it might be a case you can still get decent revenue growth with less costs and you can sort of balance those two such that there's at least a very near-term path to viability. But I think that's potentially a mistake that investors in this space could be making now is to sort of say, everyone's found Jesus, you know, they've found religion, they're going to make sure that the costs are really well disciplined, And but I'm just going to continue to extrapolate that revenue growth. I don't know. I don't know. But at least in that situation, if, if you're like, I have $6 million cash and I've just made it across break even, like you're still the captain of the ship. Oh, yeah. When you've once you've taken on debt, it's like that meme, you know, where the captain's like, "I'm the captain now, the, the pirate." You know, <laughs> it's like the debt, the guy that you owe fifteen million dollars to is like, "I'm the captain now." Yeah. You're just, you know, what was that Captain Phillips or something? Uh, I want to say was that yeah, um, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, on to the next. On to the next one. This one is coming through from Peter. Hi guys, great pod again today. Any chance of an update next week on Alcidian? Share price has slipped in recent months, and yet fundamentals and contracts still seem consistent. So let's talk about Alcidian. Alcidian has, remember it got to 44 cents in in the crazy early days of 2021. And it was like pretty insane relative to what they were doing. But again, their, their top line was growing massively. They had a very exciting addressable market, the very high recurring revenue potential, and just like really nice economics potentially, especially once they sort of hit scale. And they haven't hit that yet. They're still sort of negative free cash flow, although they are super close 
So I think it was like minus 800K in free cash flow off 10 million in customer seats in the last quarter. I mean, the listener said, right, the, the fundamentals haven't really changed. I think the revenue growth for the full year will be a little bit of a slowdown on what they have done, but they are still going to, the customer seats are going to be double this year, what they were just as recently as is 2020, financial year basis. The product base has been broadened. They continue to win good contracts. I mean, it's, there's zero debt. There's like, Ten percent of their market cap or thereabouts is in cash, so they're reasonably well funded, and yet the share price is down. So, I mean, I think we can talk about why the share price is down, which, which I agree, like broad, like broadly, like the fundamentals are still haven't changed that much, like the long term thesis. But you know, I'll say I'll blame myself a little bit on this one for sure, just being overly optimistic. And I think that the big thing that sort of they were working towards for ages in my book was FY twenty twenty three supposed to be a bit depositive and supposed to be like just a little bit of at least operating cash flow positive and basically i think that you know all of this supposed disruption they had multiple like health minister changes i don't know if you remember there was like a change in uk leadership so the nhs is important for our city and basically their forecast had assumed that they would get a certain number of contracts with the nhs and that has been delayed and the nhs puts out a guideline for when they actually expect these contracts to be signed and the NHS then failed on that target. So they took on the NHS's targets, which was a mistake in hindsight because, you know, political manoeuvrings happening, chaos ensued, there were strikes, etc., etc. So you literally have healthcare workers protesting and also different unions having argy-bargy about whether they should agree to like new proposals etc in the uk they're quite underpaid a lot of the healthcare workers even relative to australia which is why we as a, as a country are attracting a lot of uk doctors and other healthcare professionals such as nurses anyway so basically on the conference call for the quarterly the ceo said multiplying operational expenses by four would give you a good guide of the revenue needed to break even and that would imply our city needs to break even about 46 million in revenue and and so it's in FY 2023, it should make at least 36 million in revenue. We'll see when the quarterly comes out, they'll probably say what the revenue it, was. That's just contracted revenue too. But yeah, yes, that was right. just contracted revenue that they're like guaranteed to make. So they may have added some and I, I would accept they would add a little bit in the fourth quarter. And so, and that's kind of, you know, we're going to see when we get the quarterly, but I would hope that it's closer to 40 than 36, but let's see where we land. And so, you know, in this scenario, uh, that's probably a little bit like disappointing compared to where they were expected to be. Certainly, you know, when I was buying shares at I think you know fourteen or something like that. Like I'm down on on our city and purchase because, and I also, by the way, as a disclosure, bought shares lower than that. I, it's just I've say I'll say I, I have been overly optimistic of it just because it fell short of its own guidance, what it was saying, and in a timely matter withdrew that guidance. So it's not that I mistrust them now; it's just that they thought that something was going to happen and it didn't. And then in a timely manner, they said, well, that's not going to happen now. So we're going to see the results, but that's definitely taken the share price down a few notches in my opinion. I mean, it's, it's again, it's the, it's the, what you own and the, and the price you pay for it is kind of related, but different things. So I think context is important with these things and why it's really important to sort of have a view of the business and contrast that with the, with the price that that you're able to have. I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that that I thought that that was there's nothing wrong with the business, right? But it but things just got a little bit sort of silly. the 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 point I guess that that is worth making is that if you, the listener, are as confident as you ever have been on the business, and now you have a chance to buy that 
at a price that is significantly lower than what it was not that long ago. Isn't that what you want as an investor? I would say that that's a pretty good setup, right? It and- is, but you don't. You want to have not already shot too many of your shots at it because- Oh, sure. For me, I have I have a self limiting thing, which sometimes make me miss out on good obvious opportunities. But I can't take the opportunity because I already shot too many shots at that thing, and I and I have like an anti bag holder mentality philosophy. I, I guess because oh, if you're that's in a bag holder mind trap, you're always like, oh, it's an even better opportunity. So like sometimes, even though I'm like, oh, this is an even better opportunity, I should be going hard. But I'm like, nah, but you already put in your full allocation to that. And then you bought more, like it's down 50% from where you thought it was good. Like, dude, you need to just take a seat. I guess though that I love that meme, which is buy the dip. It was like I bought the dip. I can't, I can't buy the dip anymore, right? I'm, but but I guess I would say I so said let's say you got there's no dry powder, right? And and you're down fifty percent. I mean, just the market doesn't know that you're down. It doesn't care that you're down. All that matters is is this good value at this point, right? Like that that is the question. And if and I don't want to suggest one way or the other, right? But you, everyone has to do their own thing. But if you think that's the case. For the love of God, don't sell just because the share price is down. That is really, really dumb. If the thesis is broken and at looking at it objectively today, you think, actually, I don't know what I was thinking before. That was clearly a mistake. But even holding it now is a mistake relative to my expectations of the business and the value that it currently represents. Get the hell out. Get the hell out on, on that basis. But don't get the hell out just because you're, you're at a paper loss. Like that is that is absolute insanity. Well, that's what tax loss selling is, though, because sometimes there are tax but it's not, you know, that sometimes there are tax incentives where it makes sense. And that's why you get these oh, irrational sure. moves around the end of financial. I note, unfortunately, that Alcidian has not bounced back end of financial year. So, so that's sad. Anyway. If they, if they manage to maintain any semblance of, of historical growth rate, the top line, they hit their break even inflection point and start generating recent margins. I, I think in five years' time, you'll look back and go, oh my gosh, I could have bought that at less than 10 cents. That's amazing. And just to balance that out, it might have been that, wow, they never pivoted. They never, contracts never came through. They never lived up to their expectation. And now it's four cents. And why the hell didn't I sell at 10 cents? Yeah, but, it's a bit of a risk because you know. the CEO is like, oh, well, you know, if we let go of the people we've onboarded in order to do these contracts, then when we get the contracts, we'll be in trouble. Yeah. So I think she said, if, if we were to reduce staff and in two or three months time, we needed that staff to implement contracts, that would be very short-sighted of us. So they're in this sort of, they're being up in the air, you know, they're being held up in the air by the situation of the delayed contracts award. It's not, it's not great actually probably a downside of having government partners. Yeah. I've we've spoken to Kate a couple times and she's always struck me as someone who's pretty pragmatic. And I think, you know, it was, it was actually February of this year. And she did make mention of the fact that it's sort of like, yes, the world had changed and now the market is sort of demanding this, but you know, F the market, quite frankly. It's like this is what we're gonna do. Like I, and by the way, let's pair this with a hypothetical. So okay, the market now wants free cash flow. She could fire half the workforce. She could do an Elon Musk, right? And all of a sudden the margins are insane. It's free cash flow. You know, the, the sales momentum is still in train from all the work that was done prior to that. And the, the numbers are going to look fantastic. Yet, of course, if you think that through for half a second, you know, two years down the down the line, they've completely lost all momentum. They've been unable to fulfill their obligations. Their product development hasn't kept up and the whole thing falls in a pile of heat. Now, all because you tried to placate a, you know, a bipolar short-term focused market, which just doesn't make sense. If you're re- legitimately building for the long term and you these are resources that you absolutely need. 
need and you've got the funding to stay through and you are not and as I said I feel as based on where they're at they they are not in any dire need of a capital raise or debt at any time soon I think they're okay I applaud that they said an announcement the other day on the 30th of of May I think it was that the signing of these two renewals triggers a payment of 1.5 million pounds which is 50% of the earn out figure that's not the important bit to be funded from current cash on hand of 15.6 million and then in brackets after that 11.1 million at March 2023 and so this was the 30th of May that they put that so I'm just talking on the fly here but it looks like their cash flow position might be so they're going to lose 2 million or 2.3 million from this payment but they're still above 10 million or they they're still tracking Ask ask why they're making that payment, right? Because yeah, re- remember these it, like again. Think it's about renewal it. of important contracts, but they had eleven point or eleven point oh six. It looks like at the end of March, and then so that might have been a typo in there. Okay, but this this is a this is of a free cash flow of eight hundred thousand dollars. Was it 11.1. in the most recent? No, they had it right, but even after two point eight, that implies they've been cash flow positive in the final quarter. So we'll see. I guess you know it, it's not it's not super close to the line. And remember, when it comes to earnout payments, what do you want? I mean, imagine if it was our business, we owned it outright. It's like we made this acquisition. We said if it goes well, you know, this this gets factored into the price. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they could avoid the earnout payment if it was a crap acquisition. <laughs> you know, like well, well, I kind of hope when when you when you see those structures, you kind of like I actually hope that you are paying the full freight on that uh, acquisition because it, it, that's that's what has to happen. If that happens, it means that the acquisition's kind of gone the way you hope it hope it would. Maybe changing ends of the market. If you guys are done with that one, I want to get you guys take on on threads because we haven't really chatted about it much, but I think it's pretty interesting particularly because it's kind of well it's it's a it's a network effect battle right so basically zuckerberg slash meta have launched a competitor to twitter called threads it's basically a clone of twitter with a few differences they've got to 100 million users within four days yeah maybe we just start there just keen to hear what you guys think have you guys tried out threads did you have any thought thoughts on it as a competitor yeah i tried it out it's pretty good really i haven't really done it i haven't threaded anything tweet i don't know what the equivalent is i think the the one thing because i'm not an instagram user so I, for me it was a little bit more difficult i've found it like finding p i haven't put too much effort into it but i do like the trending section on twitter so i can sort of see things and then you find people and sort of you can sort of build up a, a useful list they don't have that feature which i felt was a bit of a miss but i think i think the thing to remember here is that elon has just completely made an absolute mess of, of twitter i think we're all in agreement there so if anyone's going to do it it's going to be dark. And think about it. They've got 1 billion monthly active users. You have to press a button and now you're on this new thing. So it's sort of like they, they signed up 100 million people, I think, in the first five days. So about 5%, was it, of users, something like that? Uh, sorry, 10%. I can't do my math properly. 10% monthly active users. Like that's that. If, if anyone's going to do it, I feel as though they've got the best chance at it because they've got a network of their own that can catalyze and prime the pump on this. That being said, I saw Louis C.K. make a mention of it. I thought he was bad on was that I really can't be asked like managing multiple different Twitters. I, I feel as though this is, a, this is a natural monopoly when it comes to that form of social media. So I, when the dust settles, I, I feel as though there'll be one dominant one and one very distant second. And I actually feel as though while I'm, I'm sort of saying here that I think if anyone can do it, 
threads can because of the advantages it has. And despite Elon making an absolute mess of all of this, I wouldn't be surprised if they still win because I find myself having played with threads that I still find I'm scrolling Twitter just because mm. I've I've got a better cohort of people I'm following and whatever. What do you think, Claude? Did you try it out or any thoughts on it? I haven't tried it out because you have to download it. This is the same problem with Blue Sky, right? You have to have an app on your phone. Mm. But I don't want to necessarily have all of these apps on my phone. Because it's it's too easy to get sucked into the, like, the time trap of it? or Yeah, I just like prefer... Well, I guess if I have access to them over my computer, then I'd like to have a lot of computer time in my life. Like I work on a computer, I like watch mm. stuff on computers. Like I, I've, that's enough time. Like if I don't have my computer with me, I'm kind of okay with not yeah, having yeah. that. I agree with me. it. I think we chatted, um, not on the pod, but that this theory that maybe it's not just social media that's causing a lot of people's unhappiness, blah, 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 problems with technology. It's just that we have it on us all the time. So they were kind of proposing just using a desktop as a way and yeah, go back and forward where that's the case. But I found, I, I also just try to use Twitter just on the desktop and trying to view, avoid using that stuff on my phone just to cut down on the pervasive, you know, with the family time, having like the old days when you had like one portal in your house to the internet versus pervasive all around you. I wouldn't be opposed switching away, right? Because I do think that the signal to noise on Twitter has become really bad. Yeah. Like, nice. I think it just, I mean, there, there were problems anyway before Musk took over. For example, I think when we all sort of joined Twitter, there was like a lot more good faith discussion with people with like opposing ideas and a lot less engagement bait kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it became much more, like certainly in the fields, I guess, that we look at, it became much more engagement baity. Twitter has always been this quite weird social network where it had like a lot of cultural influence, but wasn't like a mass market product. It was kind of like for nerds like us in different domains. Like you had all these different niches of the social graph. Big, big for journalists. Journalists, yeah. People who, yeah, journalists, media, yeah, anything like that. Like that was a, a big area that. Great platform for politicians. Politics. Yeah. yeah. Yep. There's a couple of pieces out that I'd read. Eugene Wei, who's kind of one of the masters of analyzing social networks, wrote a piece called How to Blow Up a Timeline. And then Ben Thompson wrote one that just came out this morning, just compa- talking about the different like types of messaging. Yeah. So the, 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 a couple of ideas that from there that I think are really interesting is you have these like couple of different dimensions of like time-based versus algo-based. So the classic Twitter was like this sequential time thread. And then mm, using- I like that better. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I always try and used to try and turn it back on when you still could. And then user generated, so like mass market content versus just your network's content. So that was a big thing we talked about this before, like what TikTok changed. Instead of it being about the people that you follow, you can still follow people, but what it shows you is this mass produced, like it uses the long tail of the internet to produce masses of content and then it relies on an algorithm to boost that content. Whereas the previous method of social networking was based on seeing what your friends shared. And that's kind of what Twitter Twitter kind of started off as this time-based social network product, but it's been trying to compete with these big other platforms like TikTok and Instagram Reels. And the problem is that those are, it's like a stated versus revealed preference. Everyone says that they want that that just see stuff from their sh- their friends and time. But based on their actual usage, what they click on and watch is TikTok. And I'm not but talking that, about us that, necessarily because we so do things like It's so deleterious, right? So that means TikTok then boosts stuff that people do like, but they're not proud of liking and don't want other people to know that they like. So it's like literally going to boost people's worst side of themselves, like the bit that they're ashamed of and that they would curtail by not actively following that person. But their own behavior like reveals themselves and then 
TikTok smashes that. And if yeah, that threads his algorithm, then I don't actually think I want to do it. Like, that sounds like a bad time. Instagram's really... Sorry, but the other thing that I would just add is that I don't trust Zuck because Instagram has historically... There's some studies that have come out like to say that it's actually more damaging for people's psychology than some of the other social networks and i bet tiktok's even worse yeah so i think that part of what you're describing is exactly part of why these things work is because people want to eat cheeseburgers they don't want to eat their vegetables and if you ask people what they want to eat they say oh give me a plate of vegetables and if you put cheeseburgers in front of them they eat the cheeseburgers and then the other part is that it, it just generates a lot more content because you're using like tiktok uses a whole world right that, that it can show you versus people that you happen to know so it's like there's just a much bigger broader smorgasbord to choose from i guess it's like a buffet versus one meal and but the thing is though that t- twitter's already done this so that was one of the big changes that elon brought in is he changed he and really aggressively so much worse. yeah correct he really aggressively pushed this for you page and you can't really it's really hard to get away from it like you can't it's always the default when you log in it just kind of sucks in attention it's complete trash you always have to press following press sorry do the following page, not the for you page. Yeah, yeah, try and try and change out of it. But it's still not chronological like it used to be. Correct. And yeah, so he's done that to try and get a lot more users. And I think that that's kind of disjointed all the people who used it classically because obviously all the complaints that we've had about Twitter, this for you, you're seeing a lot more kind of clickbaity stuff because that's what people click on, frankly. Like you're seeing all the you're seeing all the cheeseburgers, not the vegetables. And you used to be able to curate a feed that delivered you more vegetables. Um, but the thing is so Elon's tried to do that, but at the same time it's annoyed everyone. And now they've gone to threads, which is basically just the same thing, just better implemented. And so there's not really it kind of believes Elon is or Twitter in this really tough position because they can't go for that now because it seems like threads will probably beat them at that game of doing the algorithmic for you feed. And if they try and go back to what they were, they have to just accept not having enough users because they're not going to grow into that mainstream product. So threads is trying to be this mainstream version of Twitter where it is more all algo feed, but done better than what Twitter can do. And so it's kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a really tough spot, I think, for Twitter to be in. They've got to either try and beat threads at this game or just go back to doing what they used to do classically and kind of get rid of this for you angle and accept that you're not going to have as a billion users like like what you know meta want to have i'm going to be controversial i like the for you I, look no let me walk that back you like i cheeseburgers. like I, nothing wrong man hey billions of people like cheeseburgers I, that just, andrew ro- logs onto a torrent of tweets <laughs> telling him how good bitcoin is and how <laughs> yeah, worthy and oh, beautiful man, he is, is for uh, having bought no it. wonder Oh man, oh, mirror, mirror on the wall. Uh, Whose <laughs> who's investment thesis is fairest of them all? No, but actually, that's a good case in point because you can't you can't do that if you sort of search the hashtag Bitcoin. It's just all bots now, so it's completely broken. So what I what I'm what I'm saying is, I like it's the implementation that is bad. I like the idea. If I'm just going to follow the people that I follow, and it's going to be chronological, but I haven't turned my phone on in a day or so, I'm just I potentially miss a lot of stuff. So I really want a good AI agent. It's going to go, hey, I know you really well. These are things that I know that you're going to be interested in. And the people that you said you're interested in who have said this that you might have missed before. I mean, it's just, it's more that, it's more the implementation of. And I think when done well, that's actually a far superior way to go about it than me having to manually scroll through everything of only the people that I've decided that I want to follow. And there could be 400 other people who are twice as interesting that I just never, I just don't know exist. 
So it's sort of like, I feel as though we're criticizing the, rightly so, the implementation of that idea because it's just been done woefully bad and for very bad reasons. But in terms of the concept, I, I think that is actually the way to go. I'm actually keen to see sort of the the convergence of AI agents in, in this field and how they can better curate for me things that are of genuine interest, not because I'm trying to be sold some stuff or et cetera, et cetera. Good to get some different takes. I'm sure this will come up again. Let's, Claude, do you want to just do a quick run through of some which we say some small cap good news yeah pretty only mildly good news i guess and and some of it a bit old but i still just wanted to have a few for everybody so the oldest one was volpara which i don't think we we covered in the last few episodes even though someone did ask about it so sorry about that basically they put out an announcement that said in may of last year they obtained a 10 million revolving credit facility as part of its cash management however since you know cost cutting they're approximately free cash flow and so they're getting rid of this facility so that they don't have to pay the fee of 112,500 New Zealand dollars. So that's just a good sign. And sure enough, I think with a few of these companies that had been sold down, the loss making tech of which Volpara was one, you sort of saw that the share price was getting pretty sold in the end of financial year, because I guess there was like a lot of people that were incentivized to sell for tax reasons. And then as it so happened with Volpara, you know, on the first day of the new financial year, it did trade up a tiny bit. But then it put out on the next day, I think it put out this announcement basically saying it's getting rid of its debt facility. And that obviously created a bit more positively. So it, it, I think it's fair to say it was good news. It bumped up a little bit. Of course, this is probably, again, the dynamics like, oh, you could have been worried about us getting into this terrible debt trap. But now they're saying, oh, well, we're not going to do that. So I do actually believe this one is good news. And I'm kind of sad that I didn't have the guts to do a gutsy buy in the in the depths of June in the in the depths of despair there because they had already put together two better quarters and I guess this probably you would argue bodes well for the next quarter as well so that is the first bit of good news any comments no all right um <laughs> Finally, Kip McGrath, another one, little small cap that's probably the same story. I think we've seen it a lot. We were talking beforehand about tax stock selling. There's quite a few small cap stocks. It only takes one you know, motivated seller and tax reasons can make a genuine incentive why it would make more sense for them to sell at 40 cents today than, you know, 55 cents tomorrow or whatever it is, depending on the actual numbers. But it can mean that like, you know, 40 cents one day is equivalent to a a considerably higher price the next. Now, Kit McGrath, I reckon, was suffering a bit of tax loss selling, but they actually went kind of good in a way, went out with their trading update just before the end of financial year. And I don't think it was like a mind-blowing update in any way. The profit's going to be down year on year due to this spending they're doing on the overseas stuff. But it did confirm that it's a stronger second half, which is as expected. So as I said, I'm not saying it's that most surprising thing ever, but that basically says net profit will be in the range of 1.7 to 1.9 million. And, you know, it's on even now after having a big bounce, 32 million. So you guys can do the maths, but it's not the highest PE ratio around. (laughs) Yeah, I think in the context of how they were priced, yeah, probably was good news. Yeah. And a good example, I suppose, there of staying with it when it makes sense to, you know, like it's a 40% different, right, in in price there. Uh, And there's been no 
no fundamental change to the thesis, I imagine. Not overly. I think there was just a gain. Like sometimes in small caps, there really can be supply and demand. Like there were some guys that sold their business in, I believe, you know, good move for them, not so good for Kit McGrath. I guess time will tell. But they so- sold their US business to Kit McGrath and they got a bunch of shares as part of that transaction. And I think I also remember reading that they were selling out or selling down or something like that. So there's probably like a fair bit of, you know, volume on the sell there and then add a little bit of sprinkle a bit of tax loss motivated selling in there and and it's a recipe for the price i guess one would hypothesize and i I don't own shares but one would hypothesize you know you can see why is this undervalued if you're trying to say this stock is undervalued then you've got to say why well that's the why yeah that makes sense yeah, cool. All right, well, let's wrap it there, gents. We, t- we talked for a fair bit today. So while we're still on Twitter, you can hit us up on Twitter with any more questions. We had another one come through as we're recording at Baby Giants Pod. And until next time, thanks very much for listening. Yes, see you guys. Thanks for listening.